Hello there. Today's episode of Beyond Distribution with GTDC features our guest, Larry Walsh, who is the CEO and Chief Analyst at Channelnomics. Channelnomics focuses on improving the performance of tech companies through business intelligence and enablement services. Larry shares his thoughts on the current macroeconomic trends affecting key geographies and talks about the recently published Channel Recession Guide, which outlines how vendors can defray and defer fixed costs while maintaining go-to-market capacity by engaging with distribution. The guide is available on our website, www.gtdc.org. Enjoy the episode. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the GTDC podcast, Beyond Distribution. I'm thrilled today to have with us Larry Walsh, who's the CEO and Chief Analyst for Channelnomics. Larry, good afternoon. Good to have you. Hey, Frank. Great to be here. Yeah. So, Larry, I know you're, you know, very well known in the in the industry, and um, a lot of people, a lot of vendors certainly know who you are. You've been in the space a long time, but if you don't mind, just spend a minute, if if you would, and kind of give everybody an overview of maybe you and Channelnomics. Oh, thanks. You know, I I hate it when I, it's beginning to bother me now that people say a long time. Uh, you know, Frank, you and I have known each other for nearly twenty years. Uh, and then it's, yeah, it's beginning to, the numbers are beginning to creep up. Um, but yeah, Channelnomics, we are a channel strategy and research firm. We support, uh, I don't know how many companies around the world in developing, uh, routes market and, uh, quantitative and qualitative understandings about what's happening in the channel and in the, in the broader industry at large. Um, so our job is to provide guidance and evidence for making channels work better. Well, that's great. And and by the way, get used to it because it only gets worse. You know? <laughs> I understand. I, I can promise you that. Yeah. Um, well, good. So obviously, you know, you mentioned you you work for a lot of, uh, you consult for a lot of vendors. You certainly have worked uh, with us a little bit and, um, and, you know, you're very well entrenched in the space. So if you would, let's talk a little bit about the environment, sort of the macro environment right now right. and what you're seeing uh, out there in terms of the economy, both maybe domestically and, and globally, because I know you're doing a lot of business, certainly in Europe. Yeah, no, we do. And this is kind of something we fell into. It's not, it, it wasn't part of our repertoire uh, until this year to actually track uh, macroeconomics. Uh, and we monitor a number, you know, I will not say the Chelonomics is not an, an, econo an economics think tank. We follow, we take information from the real experts on this and we contextualize it in, for the channel. Uh, and we were asked to do this uh, just this year because of, uh, it started with the war in Ukraine because that had an immediate impact on regional and global economies. And it, it would actually look like it was going to have a much broader impact than it has. Uh, so there's a there's a lot going on out there, Frank. Um, the Europe's inflation rate is above 10%, and it's not going to come down. It's going to go up. Um, manufacturing is declining in Europe uh, already because they're beginning to conserve fuel, uh, particularly natural gas, going into winter. Fuel prices are going to increase. That's going to exacerbate food prices as well. Uh, so we know that Europe is going to have a pretty severe recession in 2023. Uh, China is just the other day. China reported its GDP numbers. They're saying that they're around 3.5, 3.6 percent growth. 
China, the ex, what the experts say is that China typically overstates their growth by three to five percent. So China's probably in a recession. Um, the U.S., despite its, um, despite the high inflation rates, so the inflation right now in the U.S. is ranging between eight and ten percent, where the Federal Reserve normally wants it around two and a half percent. It's still the U.S. is in really good shape, economically speaking. Now, are we going to have a recession here? Probably. Is it going to be as severe as Europe or in what we're expecting to see in parts of uh, Asia? No, we're not. The, the U.S. has blessed with uh, good energy supplies, strong food supplies. Uh, and in fact, um, the U.S. is repatriating uh, manufacturing capacity. So, so far this year, manufacturing capacity in the U.S. is up 116 percent. So there's a lot of things, you know, the U.S., Canada, Mexico, we're going to feel this, but it's not going to be as severe as, um, you know, in a broader spectrum than what they're saying is that it's not going to be as severe as what you're going to see in other parts of the world. Yeah, well, you're certainly right about it being an interesting time. I mean, it's um, to say the least. Huh? Yeah, to say the least. least, Yeah. We go back, as you mentioned, both a long way and, you know, been through the certainly the 08 uh, you know, situation and, and some before them and some after that. And um, there's a lot happening. One of yeah. the things that uh, that we were, we experienced, we had our event, uh, I think, you know, back in Ju- June in Europe, and we had um, uh, somebody from the BBC talk, uh, and he was quite negative about what he anticipated and ex- exactly what you talked about. And the sense is it's actually getting worse instead of better. Now, you know, new prime minister, uh, obviously, as of a couple of days ago. So that's interesting. And um, uh, perhaps there's some optimism around that. But I, I do think it's going to be a tough sledding for everybody. Well, Frank, you mentioned the, the recession of 2008. Um, let's go back a little bit further than that is that they say inflation is at historic highs or 40-year highs. There's a reason why they say that, because if they went back further than 40 years, then they'd see double-digit inflation rates. Because if you go back to the 70s, and the first re- the first recession I remember, which was 78, 79, 80, inflation rates were ranging between 16 and 19%. So we are nowhere near the the type of economy that we were in in the 70s which you know that's why i say it's that we we have a long ways to go before we start really hitting the floor yeah yeah i agree but you know with that said though obviously you know in the world that we live in there'll be impacts and um you know one of the things that you know i know you recently uh recently published was a channel recession survival guide which yeah. i thought was you know, a really good document and a good piece of work. Um, would you, how, why don't you highlight some of what you covered in there and some of the advice that you've put out there for a lot of the, you know, again, the channel members across all, uh, you know, elements, whether it's, you know, solution providers, vendors, or, or distributors. Yeah. Well, we're working on this, the the guide for solution providers now. Um, we put that together because we saw what was coming. And even though, as I said, you know, North America, we're probably going to have the sniffles to other countries. You know, Europe will have the flu. China is going to just continue to have COVID. Um, but the the reason why we put the guide together is because we know that there's going to be 
a lot of retraction. Uh, in fact, we've been seeing it now, even though, as like I mentioned, the unemployment rate here, at least in the U.S., is still we're relatively at full employment. Employ unemployment remains around three and a half, three, three point eight percent. And that's the same in other parts of the world, too. Western Europe is also really well employed and it's an anomaly under these circumstances. But we're seeing tech companies already over in September and October, we've seen tech companies um, start doing some layoffs. They've been saying under reorganization. Um, we know that there's a wave of layoffs coming out of Silicon Valley and out of the tech industry in late November, in November and December going into the new year. Every one of the vendors that we, uh, we work with has told us that they're expect they're making some significant cuts, not just in staffing, but also in budgets. And that's what prompted us to put that guide together is to say, look, the, the, the normal reaction like this is to bring things closer to you, is to, is to try to maintain as much control and not worry as much about what they are lean or rely on things that are outside your, your direct control. That means bringing more stuff in the house. And we said, don't skimp on the channel. And that's what this guide is about. The guy, our survival guide says, lean on the channel, leverage the channel as a resource, continue to invest in channel, invest in partners across the board, because the, the by definition, the channel is a means of defraying cost. You're deferring cost in favor of action. And all, everything that happens in the channel is based on meritocracy. The partners only get paid when they do something. If they're not doing anything for you, then they're not costing you anything. So that's why we say the guide goes through the steps and the considerations that what, what partners can do on the vendor's behalf to help them augment, maintain, and even thrive when budgets and staffing are being cut. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting, Larry, because um, despite what we clearly know is happening and either going to happen or beginning to happen, um, there's still a lot of optimism out there. You know, when I talk to solution providers, um, and a lot of it perhaps has to do with the fact that technology solves a lot of evil, right, um, and that it's really required, and it's changing so dramatically, and the productivity gains that people are seeing are so dramatic that um, that it's compelling, but um, what I've what I'm hearing is that the solution providers are telling us that business is still strong and there's still a lot of opportunity out there. Are you seeing? Are you hearing the same thing? What what's your what's your sense? Um, we know that the uh, the inflation rate is having an impact on their operations. Uh, that it is causing their costs to go up. And the solution providers are not able to pass costs on as easily as vendors are. Uh, in fact, a lot of the managed service providers that we we talk with, they tell us about the way that they, they describe to us the way that they build their pricing models, that they're baking in a fairly healthy margin uh, over the course of a year or two-year contract with a customer, knowing that that margin is going to erode because they're either going to see price increases from their vendors or they're going to add new functionality or new capability into uh, into their stack that they can't just go and increase the price on because, again, they lock in early on. Uh, inflation is causing wages to go up, so that's causing a problem for a lot of, uh, lot of solution providers. Uh, but we're now beginning to see signs that it's also the inflation and the concerns about the economy are beginning to impact sales. Uh, we just did a piece of research and report with uh, 
uh, Axiom, which is a provider of managed backup service, uh, business continuity and disaster recovery services. And a lot of the MSPs that we surveyed for that, they're telling us that they're feeling the headwinds already. So we know that that we know that the the weather is changing. Uh, we we again we don't know what it's going to look like, and I agree with you. I mean, just you know, as as of this recording this week, we saw Microsoft and Google do their earnings announcements, and Microsoft beat their number, um, which will make some people think that services and the cloud are recession proof, but they're not, and that's going to and that's going to cause there's going to be you know once once things really start to slow down. Then we're going to start to see, you know, everybody's going to start pinching on where their IT investments are. Um, there is another key number out there, which is really telling as well, is that the U.S. This is just a U.S. number. U.S. retail is sitting on a huge inventory going into the holidays. So it's somewhere north, I think the Wall Street Journal said it was somewhere north of seven hundred eighty billion dollars in inventory. And what's happened was is that. If, you know, we had all these supply chain disruptions. We couldn't get any product onto the shelves everywhere. And it wasn't just B2B. I know a lot of people, you know, listening in on this, were dealing with back orders on, particularly on hardware products. That's pretty much over. There's still some component shortages out there, but a lot, particularly in consumer goods and retail, that's over. And now all that inventory has hit the shelves right when the consumers are shifting their spending from discretionary to necessity meaning that they're not buying things that they want, they're buying things that they need, like food. And that's the, you know, and that's gonna have a real impact on the holiday, uh, holiday sales season, which will then trickle into our Q1. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, a, that's an interesting data point. I know that, I know that in the um, IT space, uh, because of you know, the work that we do with IDC and context in terms of mm -hmm. gathering the sales out data, um, that we're starting to see some inventory build up, build up, particularly in the low end of the market, you know, the PC and the peripherals and the monitor space, um, the, the sort of enterprise space, from what we've seen and heard remains robust, and they're still working off pretty significant backlogs, but the backlogs are dissipating very, very quickly on the PC side, and, and you know, um, we've, we've seen that. Although what we are also seeing is it's shifting from sort of low-end, low ASPs to higher-end, higher ASPs uh, in the commercial space, um, which I think is a lot of companies investing in uh, work-from-home devices for people, which, you know, require you know, more security, more, you know, just a more robust system. So uh, yeah. a little bit of a mixed bag. Well, one of the things that did happen uh, over the past 18 months with the supply chain disruptions, particularly when it comes to semiconductors and components, the fabs that were making all the semiconductors figured out that we were going to spend money on whatever it took to remain operational. So you needed web cameras, you needed headsets, you needed PCs, you needed monitors. All these things need semiconductors. And what they did was is that they stopped building the low end components and only push towards high end. So a lot of the spending that you're describing is not necessarily a result of choice as much as a result of necessity. That's what's available. That's what got built. And because again, the supply side figured out that the buy side would spend money. And this is also causing some companies and uh, there's a pricing analyst that we follow 
just released a, 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 a note on this to, to his subscribers saying, raise your prices. Raise your prices because you can, not because you need to. If you're not feeling any inflation pressure, don't sit back. Raise your prices now because you're not going to be able to, uh, you're not going to be able to raise your prices later as easily. And it's kind of cynical to me. I understand the logic behind it, but it's cynical. But you're seeing the same thing play out across the board. You can look at a number of companies that uh, uh, Consumer Goods, Procter & Gamble just reported. Their sales, their unit sales are down. Their revenues are up. Why? Because they increased their prices. Yeah. I mean, I, I bought a car recently and went through it. I mean, it was sticker plus. Yep. And, and there was no debate. It, it was... <laughs> Here's the price. It was one of the easiest, easiest, most unsatisfying buying uh, scenarios I've ever been through. Uh, I, I, yeah, I went through the same thing last year. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing last year. Not only that, but when I bought a new car last year, this time last year, not only did I pay sticker on it, I paid sticker for a year old car that was left on the lot that didn't have all the components installed. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't need one that time, but I needed one recently, and and I was pretty frustrated. Yeah. But but I told the salesman, you know, I've known for a while. I said, look, I I get it. I know what you guys are doing, but I won't forget this. So when yeah. the time comes and the pendulum shifts back to us being able to negotiate again, uh, I'm going to remember this because I, yeah. I it, it was annoying. But anyway, uh, we digress, and that's it's kind of a perfect storm, as you mentioned, as it relates to you know, the supply chain piece, because obviously back a year and a half ago, maybe almost two, we had the reverse with, you know, the chip manufacturing process um, and what happened there and how they immediately cut back based yep. on what they thought was going to happen with the, you know, with the macro environment and the reverse happened and demand spiked and we got caught in that shortage and now we're going to get caught you know, you would think after all of this machinations that we could figure this stuff out. <laughs> just... you, you, you know, you'd like to say so. And, you know, Frank, you mentioned your relation, GTDC's relationship with IDC and Context. I mean, two great organizations when it comes to this stuff. Um, one of the things that mo we talk about it frequently, and I talk about it with our clients as well, for an industry that its value proposition is on the generation and management of data. Our industry is terrible at organizing and leveraging data for this type of real decision-making. I'm not saying it's not unheard of. I mean, there's some great companies out there that are true, uh, use true quantitative analytics to really drive their businesses. You've worked for a couple of them that, uh, you know, that truly are masters at it, but even they struggle with maintaining the, you getting and using data effectively. Uh, and it's a real problem for the industry. Yeah. You would think, you would think it's a great opportunity for AI or, you, you know, big, big data manipulation to be able to figure this out because, you know, if what you described happens and I think, You've used some really good data points to point to what potentially will happen, like you know uh, the retail inventory, et cetera. Um, you know it'll it'll be be painful. It'll be painful. Yeah. yeah. So, unfortunately, unfortunately, Frank, one hundred and fifty eight percent of statistics are made up. <laughs> yeah. Well, who who's going to argue with you, right? <laughs> um, so, Larry, let's let's 
I'll move over to obviously distribution, which is right. obviously near and dear to my heart and, and also to yours, because, you know, you've written, you've been on the record, you've been uh, advising companies, you've been consulting with companies for quite a long time. And frankly, have been very bullish about um, the role distributors play in the overall um, ecosystem. And as importantly, how vendors uh, and other members of the ecosystem should be thinking about distributors and how they should be using distributors. And, um, and that's been um, really good information and really good data coming from a, you know, a neutral source, if you will. Right. Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about that because you also recently wrote a guide for us, which we're in the process of publishing uh, called distribution as a recession countermeasure. And essentially, it's a guide talking to the um, marketplace on the things that you could use uh, distributors for and how distributors can help. So if you will, talk a little bit about that, because I think that was a really good good uh, document. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a the genesis of that was the the recession survival guide that we published over the summer. And you know, for everyone, you know, we do collaborate with GTDC on a number of on a number of things. And Frank and I were talking. It's like, you know, it would be good to have a guide like this for distribution um, to help the vendors understand what, more specifically, what what distributors can do. Let me back up even a little further than that, though. Part of the reason why, Frank, I'm bullish on distribution and I advocate on its behalf, not blindly. I mean, there are things that I will, you know, when I work with different companies and say, it's okay, if you don't need distribution, we're not going to, let's not force it in here. There are instances where that is the case, but there's a lot of unfounded skepticism about the value and role distribution can play in go-to-market, uh, go-to-market strategies and go-to-market models. In fact, a number of companies that we work with openly question uh, the, what distribution is doing for them. They're, uh, they're, they come to us looking for guidance. How do we get out of distribution? What you know? How do we you know lessen our dependence? How do we pull it back? Uh, and part of it is is because they see uh, really they they apply reductive reasoning to it. What's distribution really doing for us? Well, it's just credit and collections. It's doing financing. You know, we don't need that in cloud. We don't need that in services. Um, and what they find is that distribution actually plays a really valuable role. Now let's fast forward to using distribution as a recession countermeasure. There's a number of things distributors can do, just as we described for vendors, that they can they can lean into their reseller population to extend their capacity, make sure that they're maintaining their contact with the, with the market and they're still generating revenue. We say the same thing for distribution. Distribution can provide sales support. They can provide training. They can provide marketing resources. They can provide analytics. Uh, distributors are increasingly becoming the fulfillment mechanism for online sales being done by partners. So there's a lot of things that distributors can do, uh, particularly in an economic downturn. And that's what we point to in this guide, that the, you know, the, if you're going to, if you as a vendor have to cut your fixed cost, and that really is uh, the, the enemy here. Uh, when the when the, when revenues go down, the economy's take you know hit and battering you. Fixed costs kill you. So if you need to remove your fixed costs and you have to go into something that's more variable, well, first 
you know, defer some of these functions, management functions, go-to-market functions, support functions to distribution. Let them manage, not just you know, let them manage the channel or pieces of the channel and help, you know, get work with them on how do they grow and how do they influence partners to continue to work the market to generate revenue and bring it back upstream. I think, Larry, um, you know, you well, first of all, your point is well taken. To, and I've had this discussion, God knows how many times over the years, um, even when I was on the vendor side, uh, is that the distributors are way more than a bank in a warehouse. And yeah. and that has that has clearly evolved over time. And if anything, you know, the pandemic just underscored how important they were in keeping the overall global supply chain moving um, and reacting the way they needed to react. Um, the thing that, that that's interesting to your point, and I'm sure you deal with this all the time with your with some of your clients is when you look initially at the cost of doing business with distributors, you could argue that it does add cost on the front end. Um, but unless you do a complete analysis, which I know you and I have talked about before, and we're actually working together on a, on a guide to help folks on this, unless you do a complete analysis that includes cost avoidance or cost deterrence, if you will, um, you're not seeing the, the, the real picture. Right. And and it's complicated to do that because every company's in a little different space. Clearly, emerging uh, vendors are in a much different place place than you know the um, uh, legacy you know vendors that have been doing business for a long time. The second part is it's sometimes hard to separate cost and really do a true cost accounting kind of an approach uh, because there's a lot of embedded you know, costs in various places that it's hard to pull out. But at the end of the day, um, I think it's, it's from what you and I have kind of talked about, what we've looked at and what the data would suggest, um, there really is a ton of value in, in even despite some of the transition to cloud, some of the transition to, you know, online platforms, distributors are now cranking up services in those spaces. And I know that you know you're pretty well versed. Talk to me a little bit about what you see there and what you think the future is in terms of the services distributors are starting to provide and what they're going to provide kind of going forward. Right. So uh, first, I, I agree with you. There's the part of the reason why distribution gets a bad rep is because it it is seen as a cost plus on on already received overtax sales model. All right. So you you pay the partner their base discount uh, or you're paying them on some back end incentive. You're going through um, as much as 80% of all channel sales go through non-standard pricing. So that brings down the 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 through channel ASP even further. And then you get, you know, once you get to the strike price with the partner, then you still have to pay the VIG to distribution. And yeah, I can, and I look, I'm completely sympathetic to that to that math um, what we talk about is substitution so if you did not have distribution in the mix what would it cost you to replace it and this is what a lot of companies you're right it's not it's not a, a line item you can just easily tease out you actually have to go hunting for it uh, but it's a real cost 
you know, to it's a human cost, systems cost, processing costs, uh, even just the cost of maintaining history on sales is an, is more than many vendors can handle. In fact, we were, I was talking with one company that was telling me that uh, they can't get out of distribution because they can't process an order. They don't have the physical, physical being a strong word, but they don't have a system to where they could actually ingest an order and ingest payment from a partner. So it's pretty telling what happens and you get really quick on this. Um, in terms of services, it, it, look, distribution is going to continue to evolve. Um, they are investing heavily in their capabilities and not just their capabilities in terms of facilitating cloud services, but also uh, in areas like uh, ESG for environmental and sustainability. Uh, just before getting on here, I was talking with uh, the folks at DNH, and they were telling me about this really great uh, case study they have about where they were able to ship 6,000 PCs to a school district, with, it, but they removed all the packaging so that they didn't have to deal with that. I mean, these are things distribution can have a real impact on. Uh, but I think the real thing is going to be, you know, the real impact is going to come from two places. One is this distribution will continue to be an influencer um, on vendor and product consideration. There's a huge amount of, I mean, distributors are sales engines. They have great amount of sales capacity. Um, the second thing is, is that they are going to, con they are going to become the bench, the professional services bench of the industry. And this is something that Ingram uh, and Tech Data before the merger and even Cynix before the merger, they were doing some great stuff on this. But a lot of the uh, distributors around the world, because we, talk and touch distributors in all parts of the world, they're all talking about value add. Uh, and that's one of the things is that I still have vendors talk to me about the difference between a value add distributor and a broadline distributor. And I just sort of like, no, there's, they're distributors. There's no difference between them anymore. You know, so yes, I will say to you is that there was, there, there can be differences in the quality, uh, in the value of the services that are being delivered. So that is variable. But the, the, the level of professional services uh, and automated support that distributors are bringing to market is just astounding. Yeah, I, totally. And, and, you know, what you described is, is right on in terms of the ability to transact business um, and then the ability to help support the solution providers and, and certainly the vendors by, by you know, definition. Um, in, in terms of providing uh, resources and services. The other thing that's coming that I think is gonna be the next sort of evolution of this is being able to utilize through their platforms, um, uh, AI techniques, big data techniques to help drive demand generation, right? Yep. Because who has more data, more history than anybody in the industry as to what's been shipped and what's been installed over the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years. It's it's the it's the distributors. Yeah. They they have all of this information and all of it is powerful in terms of being able to harvest it and be able to help a solution provider figure out, you know, this customer is due for a refresh because the last time they purchased whatever uh, was four years ago or five years ago, and it clearly needs to be enhanced for, for the following reasons. 
distributors can, can now start to do that and will be starting to do that. And that will be the next phase uh, because it then goes beyond, you know, helping folks do business. It's helping <laughs> folks create business, which I think is really important. Well, I think that what gets missed in the market is uh, we talk a lot about solution selling. You know, we used to call it consultative selling, uh, being able to satisfy the the customer. There are very few vendors. I would argue there are none, but there are very few vendors that can solve the customer's problem alone. They need something else to do it. The solution provider, the reseller, or the service provider is a means of collecting these different brands, these different uh, products and putting them together. Distribution is a huge influencer on that process and be able to help that partner identify what a need is, identify what the right solution is, the right capacity, the right performance, the right price point, plugging it into a reference architecture and pushing it down to the customer. But even beyond that, you're, you know, a lot of stuff gets sold to the end customers incomplete, or they could be better if they had something else. And that's what distribution has. They have that visibility across a spectrum of different partners that are selling into the same customer because customers will buy from multiple partners. To be able to identify what white space is available within an existing customer, that is really good intelligence because it's far easier to sell to an existing customer than it is to try to cultivate a new one. Totally. And and so a lot of that, a lot of what we've talked about, and certainly a lot of the, the, the key points are included in the distribution as a recession countermeasure document that that you know we've we've now released. So I, I think it'll be very valuable in the market. It would be valuable anytime, but certainly in what we're about to go through or what we are seemingly starting to get into. Uh, it becomes even more more valuable. Yeah, you know, and here's the thing, and Frank, I'm glad you said that because if anyone reads this or is listening to this and saying, well, okay, that's what distribution does. I'm like, you're right. That's why we wrote it because too many people are looking past the endemic value of the distributors bring to the table. And here we are, we're going to come into a time where things are going to get really tight. There's going to be a lot of questioning, a lot of hand-wringing about what are we supposed to do? Well, look, it's sitting right in front of you. It's always been there, and it's a ready resource. Distribution is good for you when you're when times are bad. Distribution is good for you when times are good. Well, yeah, totally. And and you know, you even and and I know we're we're probably about to wrap up here, but the other comment I would make is even in even in you know whether it's good times or bad, one of the 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 basics, the tenets of distribution has been their ability to provide uh, you know financial support. You don't know how many solution providers I run into and I've talked to over the years who told me if it wasn't for their distributor, they couldn't have done a deal, a number of deals, or run their business. Yep. And 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 in times like potentially, you know, recessions, like, you know, in the certainly in the 2008, 2009, I remember it well, uh, the distributors we're able to be that backbone from a financing standpoint that sometimes gets totally, um, totally overlooked because it's such a basic part of what you know what's done. It's not interesting. It's not sexy. But you know what? It, take it away and see what what would it's, happen. 
Yep, that's exactly right. And that's yeah. the thing is that is that there needs to be more attention to we at Channelnomics and we talk about this is that there is not a channel. There is a value chain that starts from the supply side to the end user side or the buy side. And there has to be more end-to-end -end transparency in thinking around what it is that you're trying to accomplish and what are the right resources and tools to get applied in order to uh, in order to operate in ch that chain effectively and get the most return out of it. And I believe in many cases, distribution really is an essential component of that go-to-market. Yeah. Well, look, Larry, that's great. And I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and talking to, to us and our audience uh, today. And I certainly appreciate all the work that we've done together. Um, for those of you that are listening, um, the uh, guide that we've referred to is available on the GTDC website, uh, which is gtdc.org, and it's in our Knowledge Hub. And uh, certainly, you know, Larry, they know how to get a hold of you and Channelnomics, uh, I'm sure. Uh, please, if you know, and look, and this is the one thing I would say, Frank, in closing this out, is that if anyone, and we offer this up through GTDC, is that if anyone wants clarifications, they want to talk about this, they would like to get some deeper insights, the Channelnomics team is available to you. Yeah, that's great, Larry. Well, thanks. And uh, I know we'll be doing more together as, uh, as we go along. So appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Frank. Thank you.